unique yet common sense opinions on sports. This is Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Coming up on this episode, we will put a post-mortem on the college basketball season as the Kansas Jayhawks, not the Kansas City Jayhawks. (laughs) Way to go, Mr. Emmert. The Kansas Jayhawks win the national championship. We will recap the entire month of March madness and more with Mike O'Donnell of ESPN and CBS Sports and former UCF Knight. Mike is standing by in the virtual green room and will join us in just a moment or two. But first, we go to Butler Cavern and discuss the winner of the Masters. Can't help but talk schmaltzy with this kind of music. Scotty Scheffler winning the Masters, going away. And, you know, a guy having the stones to have a big lead on Saturday and carry it all the way through the weekend was uh, quite remarkable. And think about this. First, uh, was it 60 tournaments didn't win? He's done now four of his last six, including at Augusta. A little shaky on the 18th, but he had some shots to play with. And how about Rory McIlroy with a uh, late charge to finish second. He was a day too late on that front, but nonetheless, a uh, great effort by Rory to at least try to get a big number into the clubhouse. But uh, Mr. Scheffler wins the green jacket at Augusta. All right, we're going to put a postmortem on the college basketball season and March Madness. Our pleasure to welcome back to the show from ESPN and CBS Sports and former UCF Knight, Mike O'Donnell. Mike, thanks so much for being here. Really appreciate it, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what, uh, you did get to go to the Final Four in New Orleans. Uh, Can you tell me a little bit about your trip and uh, also maybe describe for those of us who have not been to a Final Four what that atmosphere is like? Well, I guess I have to come bearing bad news a little bit. So I've been to seven, seven Final Fours. Okay. I've never been to a game. Never been to one of the games. So I can't <laughs> tell you exactly what the game atmosphere was like. Um, I usually go uh, like the Thursday and Friday and uh, go for a couple of days. I've got a bunch of buddies and coaching. It's kind of the one time a year where I get a chance to go. But, you know, every coach uh, is there. Uh, every assistant coach is there. Every graduate assistant, manager, video coordinator, it is the mecca of college basketball for about four days. And it's a really wild sight. You know, I was having dinner at this little pub and right, right in front of Mark Few, you know, was just having dinner with a friend. I mean, it's just, it's just a, a college basketball royalty everywhere that you look. And uh, I can't tell you the most interesting thing is, is, even though I wasn't there, uh, speaking to individuals that made it to that uh, those first two games, particularly the North Carolina Duke game, they said that the atmosphere was something they'd never really experienced. Because you got to remember, this is really the first time where they, they packed it out, right? Full fans in the stands, essentially a sellout, and you had this insane, palpable buzz regarding North Carolina and Duke for all the reasons that I'm sure you know you you've talked about Jeff and we've heard about, but. They said that the atmosphere uh, was actually making, you know, people who don't get emotional emotional, uh, because in some ways maybe they have taken it for granted on how great 
the atmosphere of the Final Four is in terms of the games, the matchups, the fans, um, uh, just, just just having that feeling that you're this close to crowning a national champion over the course of a couple months. It all comes down to that. And uh, I, I certainly uh, am maybe kind of kicking myself in the rear end a little bit for not extending my trip at least one more day to experience that. But uh, if you've never been, uh, even if you don't have, if you're not rooting for any particular team, it really is one of the greatest sporting event atmospheres you've ever been around. And I'm not even just talking about the arena. Just the city explodes. Any city of the Final Four host, it explodes. And it being in New Orleans is uh, was really cool because that's just the city. Everything's right there. You know, I mean, I'm sure you've been to New Orleans, Jeff. And, mm-hmm. um, everything's right there. So it's uh, it, it was pretty phenomenal. Did you ever find that pickup basketball game you were looking for? <laughs> no. Uh, well, let me take that back. Yes. But um, I, I uh, uh, did not have uh, enough time uh, uh, to play in that morning game because I ended up having a, uh, a meeting in the morning that took precedent over pickup. Uh, so I'm going to have to time up my meetings a little bit better because pickup during the Final Four, is, it's just a terrible game. It's, it's an awful game because it's everybody who's washed up and thinks they can still play, but they can't. That's what that, that's what that game is. And uh, so it's fun to talk trash and make fun of everybody but yeah i didn't <laughs> i didn't get a chance to play in it unfortunately I'll, I'll be able to report back next year <laughs> there you go well let's talk a little bit about the about the the national championship of course kansas comes away with it and really they were like the number one seed that didn't garner a lot of attention but probably played the most solidly from beginning to end through the tournament well that and they were the healthiest team uh and healthy not just in terms of injuries but in terms of their win if you look at their games, you know, they had one tight game. But for the most part, when you're winning in double digits, if you're up 15-16 with four or five minutes to go, depending on the team and the flow of the game, you can take your starters out and you can rest. So as to oppose of Duke and Carolina and Villanova, who played a lot of tight games, and they also played a much more difficult road uh, uh, than – uh, uh, than, than, they, than Kansas. Kansas had the easiest road. It, it's not, you know, uh, giving Kansas, you know, uh, a, a tap on the shoulder. It's just sometimes it's just part of the draw of the NCAA tournament. Who wins, who loses. And if you're playing a Cinderella or if you're playing a team that's two or three, North Carolina had to run through the gauntlet. So Kansas winning. Uh, once Kansas beat Villanova and then that. That game against North Carolina Duke was so emotionally exhausting and a physical battle. Kansas had the health, they had the wind, uh, and they had more time to rest. I just felt going into that North Carolina wasn't going to be able to hang with Kansas for 40 minutes, and Tar Heels came out swinging, right? <clears throat> that first 10 minutes, that was uh, that looked like, wow, this is going to be an incredible story. And then Kansas adjusted and just eventually just wore the Tar Heels down. And and Akbaji was really good in the second half. Remy Martin came off the bench and was good. Their defense in the second half was fantastic, and they made adjustments on the offensive end. And Kansas was the top three, top five team all season long. There were probably chunks throughout the course of the season where it was Gonzaga, number one, and Kansas, number two. And, and you could make an argument that Kansas could have should have been ranked number one for longer than they were in a short uh, a short time frame, right in the middle of the season. But 
Bill Self. Uh, you know, we'll see what happens in terms of recruiting allegations and uh, probation and infractions and, and Kansas getting in trouble, but you certainly can't deny the fact that Bill Self is a top five coach in the last 15 years of college basketball, having two national championships. It puts him on a pedestal that, um, you know, there, there's just so many coaches that just can't even touch that right now. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you mentioned how North Carolina came out swinging. And, of course, you know, got to talk about the job Hubert Davis did with with that club and the fact that Ray, they now have what might be ultimate bragging rights against their arch rivals in Duke, having ruined Coach K's uh, home finale just a few weeks earlier and then, uh, you know, taking them out in the final four. Uh, give me your thoughts on the Tar Heels. Oh, they're, they're, they're already making a plaque of Hubert Davis's face, right? I mean, in <laughs> Chapel Hill, they have to because not only in your first year did you make it to a national championship game in a Final Four, you beat Coach K in Coach K's last home game in Cameron Indoor Stadium, and you beat Coach K in the first ever meeting between North Carolina and Duke in the history of the series, in the NCAA tournament, and that tournament game happened to be in the Final Four. I, I, I mean, like, Hubert Davis should just retire. You're, <laughs> he, he will be in, in North Carolina history as a legend from here on out. That's just an unbelievably storybook season in which, Jeff, if you remember, North Carolina looked like a below-average basketball team in the first 15 games of the season. They were not a good team. They, they weren't. And I think Hubert Davis would tell you that. He would also tell you that, hey, we, we knew we had the right pieces to make a run. But I think he would tell you, first 15 games of the season, we weren't good. And, and, and they weren't. They, their, their, their offense really struggled. Defense, they're all out of whack. They didn't have the right rotations. There was zero identity with this team. And it looked like, I mean, they weren't even going to make – people were writing them off, weren't even going to make the NIT <laughs> with all that talent. So – they're just an unbelievable job by Coach Hubert Davis of steadying the ship. And the biggest adjustment they made is, and it took them time, and he wanted to do it earlier, but they couldn't quite figure it out. Roy Williams uh, uh, really didn't change his offense in, in his entire career in North Carolina. Just nothing changed. And college basketball is different. It's open. It's about space. It's about more NBA concepts. And Hubert Davis was able to add in NBA open concepts as the season progressed and the players started to get used to it. And as they started to get used to it, they started playing a lot better. And they just dismantled Duke at Cameron Indoor Stadium. Everybody's going to talk about the length and the rebounding and the defense, but the offense was really, really good in, in, in the late stage of the season. So um, that, to me, the, the change in, in offensive philosophy ultimately – uh, is what I think got North Carolina on that magical run in the tournament and, and and propelling them to the national championship game. Yeah, and then they had the one game where they had coughed up a 25-point lead against the defending national champs in Baylor and ended up having to win that in overtime. <laughs> yeah, it's a gauntlet. I mean, Baylor, you know, uh, a lot of people picked Baylor to win the national championship. A lot of people thought Baylor was better than Gonzaga for the majority of the year. So North, North, no question North Carolina had a more difficult road to get to the championship. And uh, let's talk a little bit about Duke. And, of course, uh, you know from your days at NC State what it's like to go up against Coach K. Uh, can you give me some thoughts on his uh, on his entire body of work for his career? Well, you know, 
That is a that, that's a heavy and big question. Um, and I don't. We probably don't even have enough time for this podcast. <laughs> but Duke basketball is what made me fall in love with college basketball. Is when when I would watch games as a as a middle schooler and I mean really elementary school and watching Cameron Indoor Stadium go crazy. And I thought it was the, just the coolest thing in the world, and I wanted a piece of that. Coach K, uh, uh, everybody's going to talk about his winning and losing um, and his national championships and the NBA players and the t- uh, 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 really revitalizing Team USA basketball. I mean, he, he truly did, and he got Kobe Bryant and LeBron James to all buy, I mean, to buy into – a selfless winning attitude to bring the gold back to the United States. Unbelievable accomplishments. His coaching tree is phenomenal. His NBA, uh, his, his NBA draft picks are, you know, some of the best ever. And he's in multiple national championships. But Coach K really turned college basketball into a thing to watch. And it became a thing to watch because of simultaneously how many people love to tune in to watch Duke play and how many people love to tune in to hope that Duke lost or that would just hate Duke and hope that Duke wouldn't play well or, uh, you know, that the hate was real for a long time. Uh, and that really didn't happen until the, the Christian Leitner days. Once that happened, Duke basketball became what college basketball culture is nowadays because it became, uh, it became must-view TV for the average sports fan when Duke was playing. That's a big deal. That doesn't happen. There's not a lot of teams that can say that. You could say it back in the day with UCLA basketball, and there was a big gap. And you, you're always going to talk about Kentucky basketball and the history there and UCLA, but modern-day college basketball culture was built by Duke and Coach K. It's true, and, and, and people can hate on it all you want, but that became – it became must-see TV for the average sports fan. Yeah, I'm I'm in alignment with you on that because I you know they kind of brought that New York Yankee effect, and you know, and that really contributes to the popularity of March Madness. No question, I I, I totally agree. Yeah, and of course, uh, you know, Coach K having such a such a remarkable career, and uh, you know, doesn't get to go out with a fi- with a with a with a national championship, but uh, he's got a whole lot of trophies on the shelf. Uh, uh, that is for sure. So uh, let, let's, uh, you know, I hate to say, you know, like the next guy is, you know, in relation to Coach K. But you look at Jay Wright at Villanova and, you know, he's kind of building that kind of resume, you know, being a Final Four regular uh, with his Villanova squad. Well, I think there's two coaches, right? Uh, um, and Jay Wright is certainly one of them. When he hit, He's got two national championships, right? He's in the Bill Self category of top five untouchables in terms of basketball success and IQ. Now, the other guy that we need to really start talking about, and, and, and we just talked about Bill Self. There's, I don't know how much longer Bill Self will be at Kansas, but the guy that we need to really start talking about is, is Coach Scott Drew at Baylor. Mm. And you know him winning him uh, uh, him getting to the national championship, winning a national championship. His recruiting is off the charts right now. And if it wasn't for an absolute miracle in the Tar Heel season, there's a really good chance that Baylor could have made it. You know, uh, should have made it to the Final Four national championship. And that culture isn't going away. 
mean that he's and he's not just getting uh, uh, guys in the portal, but I mean he's out recruiting a lot of the blue bloods right now. And Baylor basketball is right now cool to play for. It's cool to commit to Baylor. It's cool to play for Baylor. And John Shire is going to do an unbelievable job at Duke. He his recruiting class. I don't know if you followed it, but he's got the number one recruiting class in 2022. And he's got right now currently has the number one recruiting class in 2023. <laughs> so, I mean, he, he's going to get players. We're going to see how he does in terms of mulling those players. But yes, uh, you know, Jay Wright, Bill Self, those two guys at the top, Scott Drew or Baylor, I'm telling you right now, I mean, that's, it, it's cool to play for Baylor right now. And that matters a ton. And, of course, one of the great stories of the tournament, especially when you get a Cinderella run in, of course, the Peacocks of St. Peter's, a 15 seed, the first time ever making an Elite Eight. Uh, that was such a captivating story to watch. Uh, you know, I, I think I may have tweeted this out. I, I can't remember. Not that that really matters too much. But um, I, it, I think it's the greatest Cinderella team of all time. Mm. Uh, we talk about Florida Gulf Coast and Dunk City. Right, we, we we've talked about. Uh, I don't. Even, I'm not sure Butler counts as making to the national championship game because that's it. You can't compare the Butler program and the St. Peter's program. Uh, you, you talk about VCU and Shaka Smart and their runs to the Final Four and George Mason, but VCU and George Mason, their budgets dwarf, still dwarf St. Peter's basketball budget. That is historically known as one of the most difficult jobs in college basketball to win at. And not only did they win, I mean, they were, they looked like they belonged. It wasn't miracle buzzer beaters. I mean, they were beating teams. I mean, they outplayed Kentucky. And more importantly, Jaheen, I mean, he outcoached Calipari. He outcoached everybody. He outcoached Matt, Matt Painter. His X's and O's on the offensive end were, were was, was, was just truly magician-like. And, and for me, it's it's the greatest Cinderella team of all time. I don't know if we're ever going to see a 15 seed make it to the Elite Eight again. I don't know if that's going to happen. Uh, but it was a joy to watch. And that was that's what makes March Madness so just incredibly magical. Yeah. And, of course, you know, the price of success is that, you know, their coach gets uh, scooped up by a bigger school. <laughs> right, right, right. That's part of it. You know, the only difference is yeah, he's – he played at Seton Hall. Yeah. He was a star at Seton Hall. So you're going home. There's a little bit of difference there. Yeah, yeah, know? that that is true. But, uh, that's that's the nature. That's the nature of the business for sure. Yeah, uh, you know, what other stories in the tournament uh, were captivating to you? You know, I I think sometimes we can take a deep dive on particular players or coaches or storylines and. You know, we just talked about St. Peter's and North Carolina and Duke. I mean, those big headlines just made it everything incredible. The big headline for me is I think people are, I don't even know if I want to say frustrated, but I, I think I was really disappointed in how Gonzaga performed. Mm. Um, now, Selfishly, I you know I, I I do a bracket every year and it, it's it's so fun to follow along just like everybody. I don't get really ups- I don't get upset about it. I've lost to my wife six years in a row because that's just that's what March Madness is, right? It makes no sense. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but Gonzaga looked like just far and away the best team in the country all year, even outside the West Coast Conference. The West Coast Conference had three teams in the NCAA tournament. 
Gonzaga has, and Mark Few, if he's going to really do this thing, he has to get to final. He has to get to a Final Four. Uh, he has to get to a national championship game um, a little bit more consistently when you've got that kind of roster. And I say that, I, I, I feel like I sound to being really tough on Gonzaga and Mark Few. That's only because I, I just love the program. I love the culture. I, I love everything about how they recruit, how they play. Um, uh, you know, you never hear about any problems coming out of Gonzaga, really. The only other problem was, was Mark Few had that you know, slight DUI incident. And I, I wonder, what is it going to take to get Gonzaga out of the hump? Because they had the best point guard in the country in Andrew Nemhard. They had the arguably the best... Uh, uh, the best center in the country in Drew Timmy, and they've got a top upcoming top three pick in the draft in Chet Holmgren. You know that's that's a team where you got to look and say, you know, what are we doing wrong? Are we pl- uh, are, is our style of play not conducive for the NCAA tournament? How do we how, how do we consistently advance to elite eights, final fours, and national championships? And it's not like Gonzaga hasn't consistently advanced, but this you know the last couple of years. If you, if you go back look at last year, Gonzaga versus Baylor, it was a dominant performance by Baylor. I mean, completely dominant from a tip. Gonzaga looked completely lost and, and outmatched and outgunned. And this team was so good that you wonder, what's the missing piece? I don't know what the missing piece is, but until that missing piece is found, I don't think Gonzaga – and this is undeservedly so, but I don't think Gonzaga is ever going to get the national respect that it deserves until they win big with those kinds of rosters that we saw this past season. Yeah, and of course, you know, unlike our football brethren, you know, you know, Gonzaga, you know, once upon a time, you know, back in the late '90s, was the Cinderella, and they've built that into a national uh, uh, power. Yep. Uh, you know, Butler had their run where they where they made that. You know, and 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 what what I really love about the tournament is, yes, the the little guys have their seat at the table and they have their they have their their shot at some success. But ultimately, at the end, it's usually you know the very top teams lasting at the end. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's uh, the NCAA tournament is the purest thing about college sports is everybody has, there's a path for everybody. It's not an easy path, but every single team has a chance to win a national championship. Every, everyone does. Uh, you can't say that for college football because the way the college football system set up, it's an absolute sham. In my opinion, it's, it's disrespectful to every single college football player in division one sports. And the NCAA tournament is everything that's right with college sports. Everybody's got an opportunity. Gonzaga, certainly, you know, they were the Cinderella, and now, you know, they're they're not a Cinderella anymore. They are they are one of the top five most important programs in college basketball. That's a big deal. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, of course, right before uh, the NCAA tournament, uh, you got to call your first. Uh, uh, the conference tournaments, uh, you call in the WAC yeah. championship with, uh, with Dave Fleming and, uh, tell me about that experience. Oh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, I was very grateful for the opportunity from ESPN and it's, uh, it, you know, it, it's, uh, it's championship weekend, 
Right. And you grew up watching Championship Weekend or playing in Championship Weekend. And to be a part of that is the, it, it's the coolest thing in the world, especially with a conference like the WAC. Who, that's a one-bid conference. You know, they aren't going to get two or three bids to the NCAA tournaments. They're going to get one, and they're going to try for multiple, but right now they're going to get one. And so whoever, whoever wins that game punches their ticket. And to just say a phrase like punch, you know, New Mexico State just punched their ticket in an NCAA tournament, and to have that on the airwaves, I mean, selfishly, Jeff, I mean, I, I – Certainly don't want to make it about me, but that was like the coolest thing in the world to say that. You know, uh, you're just you're just a piece of you're you're, you're a very minute, minute piece of of uh, of championship weekend, and uh, you know I, I don't take it for granted. Um, I'm in, I'm incredibly grateful for the opportunity, and yeah, that was I mean that was one of the coolest things in the world. It was awesome. Yeah, and and of course you know, and a lot of people don't get to watch a lot of uh, uh, basketball from the WAC during the season uh, because of the West Coast and all that good stuff. But uh, you know, that's a that's a pretty pretty strong conference. Oh yeah, well you've got uh, you got Ab- Abilene Christian, you know, who made that run. Stephen F. Austin is historically a very good basketball school. New Mexico State they advanced in the NCAA tournament. They won a game, advanced to the second round, and. Uh, uh, New Mexico State actually is, is unfortunately, uh, they're leaving to go to Conference USA. Um, but it's, uh, uh, Seattle uh, had one of the best backcourts. Uh, statistically, they had one of the most efficient backcourts in college basketball. And it was it was really a lot, a lot of fun to watch. And the other thing, they, uh, uh, they have Grand Canyon. The WAC has Grand Canyon University, who has one of the best college basketball atmospheres in the country. Small little gym, and they go crazy. They pack it out. And uh, just have an unbelievable atmosphere, uh, college hoops atmosphere. And they travel well, you know, like Abilene Christian and Mexico State, uh, uh, Stephen F. Austin and Grand Canyon. They all traveled really well to, to Las Vegas for the, uh, uh, for the championship. And so that was, that was really, really cool. There's a, there's a lot of love for basketball in the, in the WAC. And, of course, you are a UCF Knight. And, uh, you know, can you give me some uh, closing thoughts on this uh, past season? One that I think was a little bit frustrating because it seemed to be so unsteady and up and down. What, uh, what, what was your take? Well, no, I think Coach Dawkins would tell you that they underperformed. I don't think it's a, it's, it's a, a wrong thing to say. I mean, this was, you know, uh, talent, uh, from a talent perspective, one of the best, if not the, the most talented teams from uh, 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 positions one through ten uh, that UCF has ever had in the history of, of UCF basketball. So, yeah, it was a disappointment there was no postseason. Certainly, I thought the floor uh, for that UCF team uh, was the NIT. I thought the ceiling, they were good enough to advance in the NCAA tournament. I mean, you look at they beat Michigan and Miami, and both teams won games in advance in the NCAA tournament. Miami almost <laughs> they were closing in on going to the Final Four. And uh, uh, that, uh, that just goes to show you that the talent was real. The inconsistencies on offense and defense were very frustrating. And I, there, were, there were certainly were some injuries, especially if you think about the last couple of games of the season. Not having Brandon Mahan on the court was a huge blow for UCF, huge. I think the biggest frustration, if we're just talking individual players, was Isaiah Adams. He's ultra-talented, ultra-ultra-talented. And many last season many coaches in the, in the American Athletic Conference thought that he was a pro. And I think he just had that little bit sophomore slump. And to me, that was a huge key missing 
from this team is they really needed Isaiah Adams. His play on the defensive end when he's locked in is extraordinary, and his play on the offensive end creates so many mismatch opportunities. So that was that was certainly uh, certainly frustrating. But yeah, it was uh, you know uh, some big moments, right? You beat Miami, you beat Michigan, and uh, and you had some really frustrating moments when when you lose you lose to Tulane, and uh, that just you know that just can't the inconsistency. Uh, it was for me. It was less about individual play. It was more about the inconsistency of the season. It was probably the most frustrating. But you're at a place now. This is what I tell people. I said it's okay to be frustrated. You know, if you're a UCF fan, I was frustrated. Uh, I get it. And Coach Dawkins would probably echo that as well. But UCF basketball is in a position now to where if they're not making postseason, it's a massive disappointment. Mm-hmm. And that's a big deal. That's that, that that's a big culture deal. And I'm the eternal optimist, right? Probably to a fault. Um, but if if you're looking at turning the culture from a recruiting standpoint, from getting fans in the stands, selling tickets, uh, games on TV, being all that stuff, your culture uh, has to take a turn. And, and it took a turn uh, uh, when, when Coach Dawkins got here. And I, I really feel like if, you're, if UCF basketball is in a position now that if you're not making postseason, it's a big disappointment. That's a good turn to have. Uh, fans should expect that. You know, this can be uh, a big-time basketball destination, and it's okay to take ownership in that. So, um, I would just encourage UCF fans to, you know, look, look where you're at now, um, and and don't you, you can be frustrated, but don't take for granted uh, uh, how long it took to get to this point. Is it really important for them to have momentum when they close out playing in the American before they go to the Big Twelve? You know, Jeff, I think everything just comes down to recruiting um, in the portal in high school because you're not recruiting. Uh, you're not, re- and this is no disrespect to East Carolina, but you're not recruiting against East Carolina anymore. Mm-hmm. You are recruiting against Kansas and Baylor. That's who you're recruiting against, and against Oklahoma State, and against Kansas State and BYU. That's that's a monster gauntlet. You you could make a case that the Big 12 upgraded without Texas and Oklahoma. I don't know if they did, but you can make the case with BYU basketball. Look at what Houston is doing. Houston's a top-10 team in the country right now. I mean, right now, they're a top-10 team in the country. Cincinnati basketball is going to get it figured out with West Mill. Antis and Baylor are going to compete for national championships every single year as long as Coach Drew and Coach Self are there. <laughs> You're not recruiting your recruiting completely changes. It completely changes. And so you could talk about momentum all you want, and it matters. It matters to some degree. Sure, absolutely. But everything comes down to the recruiting game in the portal. In high school, you are competing and recruiting against teams that are actively setting goals to win national championships. I tell you, Jeff, that's a whole different deal, my friend. A whole different deal. <laughs> yeah, it's a much much different waters, that's for sure. So, uh, what what's your off season like? Will you be following the daily countdown that John Rothstein provides for the start of the next uh, bas- uh, college basketball season? <laughs> Always, I, I love Rothstein. I got a chance to hang with him in the Final Four. He's just a, uh, he's the most relentless worker in college basketball. But uh, I will be taking, you know. Uh, I'll be. I'll, might see me do a few things with a couple different podcast mediums, but uh, I will tell you that I'm going to enjoy a lot of time with my kids because I was gone a lot. I was gone the most I ever was, 
in, uh, in, in college basketball travel for broadcasting. So I'm going to do a lot of catch up with the kids uh, here leading up into, uh, in, into the summer, the spring and the summer. So, um, I'll always be, uh, one of my favorite things to do in the off season from a basketball standpoint is learn and get better. So I'm going to attend coaches clinics. I'm going to be, I'm going to be scouting players. I'm going to be reading a lot. Uh, I'm going to be breaking down film and uh, get myself prepared um, uh, for the upcoming college basketball season because I just can't sit there and think that I know everything because I don't. <laughs> uh, so I'll continue to learn and get better and be really prepared. And uh, my goal is to be the most prepared uh, uh, and creative, uh, y- a creative storyteller, storytelling young analyst in college basketball. And I'm going to get after that the best I can. Well, I tell you, your hard work shows, and uh, you always enjoy your work. And yeah, I I I see a day where Mike O'Donnell is, uh, you know, calling the NCAA tournament in March Madness. I think that's in your future. Hey, <laughs> put it out in the ethos, man. You got to put it out there. If you don't, it'll never happen, right? <laughs> I appreciate that. Hey, no problem, Mike O'Donnell. Thanks again for being on the show. Certainly appreciate it. Thanks, Jeff. All righty, let's close things out now with a TV theme. And that the theme from Wonder Woman that uh, brought to a rise and prominence one lovely Linda Carter as Wonder Woman slash her persona of Diana Prince. And uh, yeah, she uh, was uh, she was the original uh, Wonder Woman and uh, was the best, no matter what anybody says. Lyle Wagner was uh, Steve Trevor Sr., of course, he was uh, prominent on the old Carol Burnett show with his comedy chops and uh, dashing good looks. And uh, he provided that as well to the Wonder Woman TV series. Ran on ABC 1976 to 1979. And uh, actually, the uh, second and third seasons were on uh, CBS. Pardon me. Yes, first season on ABC, years two and three on CBS. 
And, uh, you know, the original was set in the 40s during World War II. And then in 2 and 3, they changed the title to The New Adventures of Wonder Woman. And uh, it was set in the modern-day time of the late 1970s. And Lyle Wagner's character was changed to Steve Trevor Jr., the son of his character from season number one. The theme from Wonder Woman, our TV theme for this week. And with that, we are done here. Thanks for listening to Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Follow Jeff on Twitter at JeffAllen underscore 88, on Facebook at JeffAllen88, and the website JeffAllenSportsTalk.com. And you can reach out to the show anytime by email, JeffAllenSportsTalk at gmail.com. Jeff Allen Sports Talk is brought to you exclusively by Kramer's Salve for Dogs. Does your dog itch, suffer from debilitating skin allergies, or trouble hot spots? We have the solution using the healing power of neem. Kramer's Salve is a safe and natural approach to help your best friend live an itch-free life. Go to KramerSalve.net to order today with new low pricing. That's K-R-A-M-E-R-S-A-L-V-E dot net.